You can take the slave out of Egypt, but you cannot take the Egypt out of the slave. I feel like somebody has said that. I don't think I created that, but that, that is sure the truth when you think about your Old Testament history and the people of God coming up. 400 years of slavery has a way of kind of setting itself into your soul. And uh, when they were freed, you think of the mighty acts of God with the ten plagues that God brought about to punish the Egyptians, to convince them to, you know, finally let them go. And, uh, and then you have the Passover with the death of the firstborn. All that, that happens. And, and so God brings his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And they get to the Red Sea. They get their backs against the sea. And then come the Egyptians and... It wasn't like the uh, Israelites really had quite gotten the lesson yet. <laughs> they weren't there really. You know, you think of they should have been so brave after the ten plagues, and especially after the last one the night before they, they, they left. Here's what it says. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now I would submit to you that though they were technically on paper free, they were still slaves at heart. They didn't really own what God had done in them. It would take them centuries. Well, it would take, yeah, it would take the coming of Christ for there to be a real breakthrough to, to get rid of, of that slavishness. Colossians 3.10, where we're picking up, you'll recall last time we were putting off the old self. And this is all kind of a process. Um, and then what we find out in verse 10 is that we are putting on the new self. We are new. And we've talked about this. We've talked about the newness. That, that, that if any man is in Christ, um, he's a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. But here's my question to you today. Do you, dear Christian, really own that? Is that really deeply entrenched in your heart? That you know, you live your Christian life knowing that you are new. That you are new. That's the big idea today. Uh, fully own the truth of your new life in Christ. Couldn't think of a better word than own. There might be a better one so you can tell me when you're, you're leaving today. You know, Because there's always room for improvement if you want to tell me. There's got to be a better verb than that. But I wanted one that just communicated the idea that we are taking hold of this. And, and yeah, it's ours. And we really understand it and grasp it and take it to ourselves. So own that, own that. Five convictions that go along with it that come right out of our, out of our text. And the first one is you put on the new self. You put on the new self. Says him, and have put on the new self. He's talking to you, right, to us. You put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the Im image of its creator. Did you do that? Did you take on the new self? You, you did. 
You did. You absolutely did. Now, I know from one perspective, and we saw that in, in the First Peter passage, that God caused us to be born again. It was in God's doing. God's, you know, completely sovereign over that. I get that. But in space and time, there was that moment where you believed the gospel. You heard the gospel being preached. You believed it. You turned from the way you were going from your old life, the old self, and you turned to Jesus Christ and you took on that new self. You, took, you, you became a follower. Maybe you went through baptism shortly thereafter and you, you showed to the whole world and you said to the whole world, I am with Christ. The old, the old me is dead. I'm gone. I'm a new, new self. Do you remember doing that? Paul is reminding them that this has taken place. It's already true of them. We're not working toward getting a new self. God forbid that you think of the Christian life as, well, i got to work toward getting a new self. No, you've got a new self. that, That is theologically, biblically true. You have been given the new self. As, this, as irresistible as grace is, and I really do believe that, um, there's that moment where by the Holy Spirit's work in you, you came to faith. And you, and you willingly said, this is who I am. Do you remember doing that? In that moment, you owned it. Now, since then, you probably think, ah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure this is really panning out the way I thought back when I said Yes. But you, you took it to yourself. You know, I think about the draft, the military draft. Um, that's been around a long time. I didn't Google to find out the exact nature. I, I assume that it goes all the way back um, at, at least sometime prior to the Civil War and uh, continued on all the way through Vietnam. I think, I think at the very tail end of Vietnam was right about the time that the, that the anger about the draft got so big that they did away with the draft. And I'm in that little, there's a little snip, a little window of, of people who hit it just right. Uh, they got rid of the draft, and they didn't even have people signing up for selective service for a number of years. There was just like a few-year gap there where, so I missed the draft, and I missed even having to sign up. Huh? But ever since then, what we've had is a volunteer military. Now, that doesn't, I don't know, if bullets are flying, does that make it better or not? marginally, I mean, at least you're not sitting there going, oh, if my draft number had just been different, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, in this predicament. At least, at least on the battlefield, you'd be saying, well, I said yes to this. I'm the one. I'm the one that went down to the recruiter's office and got myself all signed up. And, and this, is, this is where it is for us as Christians. We are in a battle against sin. That's, that's kind of where we're finding ourselves in the book of Colossians is this idea of putting off the old self and dealing with all the sinful nature and the acts of sin that we are prone to. So we're, in, we're engaged in that battle, and maybe at times it feels ferocious, but at least you know what Paul's telling you here is you put on the new self. That is you. Got it? Are we, are we, I'm not straining the text, am I? This isn't too hard to comprehend, is it? No, this is who you are. Uh, 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 own it, man. Take, take this on. This is you. All right, second conviction. Uh, you keep being renewed. You keep being renewed. It says, put on the new self, having put on the new self, you know, which is being renewed. Now, that almost sounds redundant, doesn't it? Which is, 
I love the way Paul writes in Colossians, and I don't have time to go in, into some of these, but it's so, it's so interesting how the, we get the back and forth, the way he plays with, with ideas here. On the one hand, you say, well, you just got through saying that I took it on, but you're saying I'm being renewed. But that's the beauty of it. This is, if we think of the um, being made new or, or, or um, putting on the new as conversion when we came to Christ, what would this be, the being renewed part? What's that big word? Sanctification. Yes, sanctification, that ongoing work of, of, of growth in holiness that's being refreshed and increased. That's the picture here. We have put on the new self, but that new self is continuing to be renewed. Imagine you're a zombie. How many felt like a zombie when you woke up today before that first cup of coffee? You know what I'm talking about. So imagine you're a zombie. You don't like being a zombie. Who does? I mean, you're like, ah, I wish I could get rid of this whole zombie gig. That'd be nice to be alive. And, uh, but, you know, you just, you just keep that. You got that same, those same old cravings every day, and it's just bleak. And then, but one day you're given a new self. Wow. Now, if the new self you were given was just a clean, fresh, dead body, I mean, you're just starting over as a zombie again, right? You're just a freshened up zombie, but you're going to continue to be a zombie. What you need is you need a whole living body, you know, where you've got all of these, you know, there's a difference between being alive and dead, let's face it. The live things, you know, they get the cells replicate and all of those kinds of things, you know, you get it. It's constantly being refreshed. And that's what happens in our faith. Having been made new, we continue to be made new. Christ gives increase in our life. We're like a little sapling that's been taken and put into the ground. It, it begins, it's not all that glorious at that moment. We don't look like much. There's not much happening. But over time, there's this increase that keeps taking place. And I don't know, did you catch the passive voice? Being renewed? Being, it's being done to us? Who's the doing? Who's the doer? Who's doing the the increasing. God is. God is the one. God, the, by the work of the Holy Spirit. I think, I just, I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we just don't hardly believe this. Do you believe you're new? Do you believe you're being renewed? Do you believe that's true? Or every time you you know, run your face against the wall of sin and, and, and it just hits you again and you're right back under the same sin all over again. Do you just give up and think, you know what, there's just never going to be any improvement in this area of my life. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a hopeless gossip and there's just no way I'll ever change that. It's just who I am. When I was in middle school, I, uh, I played football, which will surprise some of you. Um, I, I love football. Um, God didn't exactly build me as a football player, but I was uh, young and plucky, and I enjoyed it. And, and they made me a middle linebacker. It's true. I played middle linebacker. And uh, I, was, I was, like I said, I was plucky. And I remember one day uh, we were out scrimmaging, you know. We had our full gear on and everything. And, um, and the, the runner came around the, the end and was breaking for daylight. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go tackle that guy. Uh, that's my job, after all. Um, so I'm speeding toward him, and the, the only thing, I was going to cut him off, and, and I, I, I could tackle this guy. That wasn't going to be a problem at all. only problem was between him and me was Cliff. Um, 
And you can hear it in the name, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, Cliff was the big, big, big dog. He was like, I don't know, I think they must have held him back a couple years or something. Because he looked like a relatively large high school player, and I didn't. Uh, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll hit him hard, you know, bump him a little, and then get, get the runner. If there were a soundtrack of my life, I would have heard the song, Sailing takes me away. Because I, I hit him, and if you could see the slow motion footage, uh, you know, I just went laterally, parallel to the ground for what felt like about 20 feet and about three hours. It just seemed like an inordinately long journey that I was on until I kind of jarted into the... And here's the thing, see, I was a victim. I was a victim of science. I was. I was a, I was a victim of physics. It was like, it's like some idiot, you know, in, in one of those little European car, two-seater cars trying to bump a semi. Like, Good luck on that. The semi's not going to notice that. Cliff didn't notice that I hit him as hard as I could. And I could have done it 50 more times that day, and I would have gotten the exact same result. And I think the thing is that for a lot of Christians, this is how we view the life that, that we have where we are in a battle against sin. We think, you know what? I tried going up against that temptation last time, and what did it get me? Yeah. I got hurt. I, got, it was, I suffered from the spiritual law of physics, and I went down. And I don't want to have to ever do that again because I'm just always going to get the same result. But here's the thing, see. You're being renewed. You're being renewed. It, you've been made new, and you're being renewed. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, So we do not lose heart. And I'm afraid that's where a lot of you are. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self, and there's that word self again like in our text, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So we don't give up. We don't lose heart. We don't assume that we're always going to have to, you know, do a nosedive every time we, we try to resist sinning. That, 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 you know, we just take it for granted. Oh, well, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace, so I guess that just means I'll always fall, I'll always fail, I'll always have the same result. No. No, you're new. You're being renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So own that. Try believing that. If, if you would walk away today from this message and you just had in your head that this notion, I am new. I am a new creature in Christ. That's what this says. And it's not, I'm not just stuck where, because God keeps working in me. Third conviction, you know something new. You know something new. Colossians 3.10, same verse. And I put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're being renewed. What are we being renewed in? It says we're being renewed in knowledge. Part of God's renewing work is building a kind of spiritual muscle, but he's doing it by Renewing us in knowledge. We could translate this renewed unto or for the sake of a fullness of knowledge. As Christians, we know that we're known. Yeah? Know that we're known. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So we know from the start God knows us. But, but being known by him... 
we came to know him when we came to the gospel. We heard the gospel of our salvation, and in that we, we, we were transformed, and, and we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then what happens is we, we begin increasing. We're being renewed, and we're increasing in knowledge. And I'm not talking about academic, really bookwormy kind of knowledge. I mean, there's part of it, perhaps. But go back to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. You, you may remember this. And there was this whole cycle. And again, this kind of represents how Paul writes, which I find so fascinating. He says, and so from the day we heard, he's talking about having heard about their faith. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You remember when we went over that and how we saw how it just one thing fed into the other and then back again? Like you start with Paul wanting them to have knowledge and increase in knowledge. Why does he want them to increase in knowledge? Well, if, he, if they increase in knowledge, then they'll be able to know how to live a life that is pleasing and bearing fruit. And then when you, when you do live that, when you are increasing in those things, guess what? You're increasing in knowledge. One feeds the other. Think of what happened in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> Adam and Eve ate of the tree. Do you remember what tree it was? Had to do with knowledge, didn't it? The knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, and I think I agree with those interpreters that see that as, in effect, man was saying, I don't need to know what God wants me to know or intends for me to know or anything about God. I am a God now unto myself. He used to make the rules but I've thrown off the shackles, and now I make the rules. I live by my own morality, and I'm always self-justified because I make the rules. That's kind of what we did. In contrast, those who are in Christ come to a fuller and deeper understanding of knowledge, but it's the knowledge of the Creator as, as He wants us to know it. It's, what, it, it's His will. This is part of how... Um, we learn to live a life that's pleasing to him. Is growing in that understanding. Well, what, what do you want? And then we grow. We put it to use and, and we bear fruit. And then that leads to knowing him better. So embrace that, Christian. You have come to know Christ. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as you live in him... This is not you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is not you going off to Oxford to try to get a degree. This is, this is, this is you in Christ. A new creature being renewed. And as God is working in you, he's renewing you in knowledge so that you will learn, learn to live a life that's pleasing to him. Which will lead to more knowledge. Are you tracking? It's not really that complicated, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. This is who we are. This is what we are meant to be. This is how we are to grow. And then you have the conviction that you have a new image. We're still in verse 10, but we're almost done with verse 10. <laughs> we're going slow, but that's okay. Um, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, you're new. You put that on. And that new is being renewed. And that new is being renewed in knowledge. 
so that you know how to live a life pleasing to God and grow in knowledge. And Paul says, being transformed into the image of your creator, being fashioned in, into that image. Think about it. Adam, and, Adam was created in God's image, was he not? He starts out bearing God's image in, in himself and, and, of course, Eve as well. And then they eat from that, that tree. And then quickly they depart from that. But now in Christ, we turn to God. And in Christ, he begins this work of renewing us and fashioning us progressively more and more back into the image. So the image isn't just being renewed. You could say it's being restored. The newness to which we are headed is sort of a backward kind of newness because it goes back to the origin of how we were meant to be, to be fashioned into God's image. That's how we were created to be. Now the question is, are we fashioned into God the Father's image? Or are we fashioned into the image of the Holy Spirit? Or are we fashioned into the image of Jesus? Yes, thank you. See, you always know, I, I set you up for these. I put it right across the plate. That's all, all you have. It's just half of my questions would be answered with yes. Yeah, we're, we're kind of all of those things because God the Father creates, right? We know we, when we think of creation, we typically think of the Father. We know that the Holy Spirit was engaged in uh, creation because it said that God's Spirit hovered over the waters, as it were. And then, of course, we, we know that, that Christ was engaged as well in creation. Paul has just gotten through saying, not that, not that much earlier, for by him all things were created. We're talking about the Son, for by Christ all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. So... 1 Corinthians 15, Paul contrasts the work of the first Adam and the last Adam. Who we, who we used to be in, in Adam the first and who we now are in the second Adam. Look at what it says. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Don't you, don't, don't you just love that? I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing? We're being renewed to be more and more like Jesus until that day when we die and we are raised in glory. When, the, when he comes, we will be transformed. It says we don't know yet what we will be, but we know that we will be like him. We will be like him. We will, at that point, all of that work will have been completed in us as believers. And that's an amazing thought. If that's true, what, how should we live? How, how should we live our lives? How should the average Christian be pursuing this? Are we still slaves at heart? We know we're not to be slaves of sin. We know that we've been freed from that slavery, that we're no longer under its dictates. But when you've been a slave for a long time, it's kind of hard to forget that stuff. It's hard to... to have our minds renewed to think the way God is wanting us to think. But, but we are new. We are new. We're being renewed in his knowledge and we're being fashioned into the image of Christ. And I mean, how good is that? How good is that to just take hold of that? Own that. Own that. The last uh, conviction here. You have a new people. You have a new people. In our old selves, we were locked into the world as the world gives it 
gives itself, which is hopelessly mired in racial, national identity type stuff. And hasn't it gotten so much better? You know, we used to live, you know, we had slavery, and we had Jim Crow, and there was segregation, and those things were really, really horrible, and we thought, Mark, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. came along, and the things he said, we thought, oh, the, you know, we're just going to be one big happy family soon. It's all, all those racial distinctions are going to go by the wayside. We have, we have it way worse today, don't we, in that sense, of that, of that shattering into all kinds of different splinter groups. We call it identity poli- politics. You've heard it called um, critical race theory. You've maybe heard it called intersectionality. It's this idea that you are not who you are individually. You are part of a subgroup, which is probably part of another subgroup. And then you're part of this subgroup over here. And the best thing you can be um, in terms of political power is to be the most oppressed grouping you can get. So the more things about you that are part of a historically oppressed people, then you know, the better off you are in terms of where you sit now. It just pits everybody against each other. It's a terrible thing that, that, that we live in that. The church at Colossae, the church at Colossae, really, uh, the entire first century church, one could say, was embroiled at, at times in a kind of first century critical race theory. I mean, you had the Jewish Christians, you had the converts to Judaism Christians, you had the pagan people that had become Christians all within the church, and that didn't always go so well. Think back to Acts chapter 6. I know that was a whole different sermon series. This is several years ago by now. But do you remember Acts 6 where, where you had the, the widows of the Hebrew Christians? They were the, they were the Jewish Christians that were of Hebrew extraction. They spoke Hebrew. They were of a Hebrew culture. And, and then, but then you had the Hellenized Christians, meaning the Greek-speaking Christians. And their, their widows were, were part of, there was some way in which they were making sure the widows were fed. But the, but the one group was getting fed ahead of the others. And all of a sudden you had what really was ethnic tension in the early church. And the church had to take care of it. The church had to get deacons in there. At Colossae, the false teachers were clearly, clearly Jewish in background. Whatever else, whatever other errors that they taught, they certainly put forward the notion of a kind of superiority. That's one thing to be a Christian, but it's something better to be a Christian who follows all of these dietary rules and feasts and festivities and circumcision and all the rest. If you do all those things, it puts you a cut above. And it divided. It created division. Look at how Paul places this in, in the context of our new self. He, he, he just takes all of, this, all of these disparities and he throws them out. He's just like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to chuck all that. We're just going to get rid of it. He says, um, here, where's the here? The church. Yeah, it's the church. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's just cover these groups really quickly so you have the background. Greeks and Jews. You you got that figured out already? Pretty much for the Jewish people looking out on the world, everybody was a Greek. Yeah, they were. You know, the Greco-Roman world is very. It was a very Hellenized culture, meaning Greece had really had the impact. It was still a lot of. You know, you could get around the whole Roman Empire by speaking Greek. So there were the Greeks and there were the Jews. That's one division. Then you have the circumcised and the uncircumcised. 
And you say, well, wouldn't that be the same group that we just talked about? Yeah, kind of, but not completely. Okay. So among the circumcised, you had the Jewish people that had been circumcised on the eighth day, you know, according to the law. But then you had this other group in there, and those were the converts. These were Gentiles that had allowed themselves to be circumcised in order to become Jewish. And then you had the Christians that came right out of paganism and went straight into the church. Now, I just want you to entertain for a moment the thought. Suppose you were a guy, you know, you'd been toying with this whole Judaism thing for a while. And about six months before the gospel gets to Colossae, you go, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll do the surgery. So you go through all the pain and suffering of that. And, you know, six months later, the gospel comes, you convert, you become a believer. What's this? All at once they're letting pagans just waltz right in here and become Christians? Oh, they got baptized. Yeah, that really hurts. Um, you know, you could imagine that, that those people still would have felt, and particularly under the inspiration of these false teachers, they would have felt higher. Like, well, there's the Jew, they're, they're cut above, but, you know, hey, we went through the surgery at least. And these people, they're just, well, I, I hope God can save them because, you know, they're kind of inferior. Barbarians. You know, you know what barbarians are? Again, with, for, for the Greeks and Romans, that was anyone that didn't speak Greek or didn't speak Latin. Yeah, they heard bar, bar, bar when they heard them talk, and that's how they came up with the word barbarian. And there were the Scythians. You all remember the Scythians? Oh, those Scythians. Um, you cowboys should appreciate the Scythians because if the, if the Internet's being correct about it, which I don't know that it is, they invented the, the saddle for the horse. Didn't know that. A little factoid for you today. But they were the, they were the barbarians to the north. They were, the Scythians were all along the Black Sea and around and wrapping down. There was a, it was a big empire. So when they said barbarians and Scythians, it's very likely that they're going, you know all those barbarians to the north? Canada. Um, and then all of those barbarians to the south, Mexico, um, that's who we're up against. God can even save those people. Did you know God can save Canadians? I don't know if you're a Canadian here today, but just, just know that, yeah, God is not completely rejected. Canada, but, but all of those, all of those differences, you had slave and you had free, which I think is self-explanatory. The only difference, you know, back then, under the slavery of that time, a lot of times the slaves were more educated than the free. Isn't that weird? Because there were a lot of Greeks that had been enslaved by the Romans, and they were the teachers and scholars and so on and so forth. But economically and socioeconomically, they were of a lower class. And what does Paul say? He says, here, here, in Christ, in the church, none of those distinctions matter at all. None of it does. We are one people. We are one new self. All of those selves, all of those man, those new men, new selves that have come into Christ, they aren't just a bunch of individual selves. They're one self. They're one people. Ephesians 2.14, it says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's saying there's no difference. We know, okay, ethnically speaking, people are still people, and they're still from their various groups. They were born into, spoke, they speak whatever languages, and yes, yes, yes. But in Christ, here, doesn't matter. There's neither Jew, there's not Greek. 
Verse 15 says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. And that's the same word that we have in our text. The new man, the new self. That takes all of those, all those different, one man, one new man. So new self, you are a new self within a new self. You're a new man, but you're part of the new man. You're part of the new creation. You're a new creation. You're part of the new creation. You are in Christ. Christ, Christ, all that matters is what Paul's saying. At the end of the day, it's not about individual differences. You know, how much money you make or what you don't make or what your family background was like. You know, whatever extraction you're from, what color your skin is. All, all it, 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 intersectionality, critical race theory, none of those things apply. You know, have you ever been out on a, a summer day by the pool? You know, your, your pool? Um, <laughs> maybe you do have a pool. I don't know. I don't have a pool. But you're, you're, you're out on a good Kansas day. It's, it's, you're, you're, you spend 15 minutes in the sun, and you are baking. And you know that pool water that used to be room temperature? When you jump into it, it's the Arctic, isn't it? Because of the contrast. The world around us right now, has no solution to the issue of all of the different racial tensions that exist. What the, what the world should see should be like a splash of cold water in the face when they come into the church, in a good sense. They should come in and they should see something totally different. They should see the one, the one unity, the one man that has been brought into Christ. That's something we get to own. Isn't that good? We can be so pessimistic. We can be so pessimistic. Look, look, look who you are in Christ. Look, look what we've been given. I know we're not exactly, you know, a, a variegated group here in central Kansas, but, uh, but you know what I'm saying. There's a, a, was a character in the Jack London story, Love of Life. Uh, did anybody ever read that, Love of Life by, by Jack London? Maybe if I talk about it just a brief bit, you'll remember it. You probably read it in school years ago. Um, Jack London, Call of the Wild, that guy. But he writes this story. It's a short story. You could probably read it in 30 minutes if you went home today and looked it up. But uh, there's, there's these two guys. They're, they're in Alaska mining for gold. And they have, to, they have to get out from their base camp. And they have to get back to civilization, which involves trudging across a lot of different miles until they get to the coast. And they've waited too long. Winter is setting in. It just becomes this arduous, horrible thing. And, and Bill, he leaves the protagonist, you know, and just goes off on his own when, when our guy sprains his ankle. Months later, he sees the you know, bleached bones of Bill lying there, de- dead from a, a wolf attack, or at least the wolves ate him. Finally, he gets to the shore, and he is a stick. He's just like a little stick figure. He's crawling along. The men on the, uh, on the rescue ship, there's this, this research ship that's coming nearby, and they see him on the shore, and they, can't, they said it looked more like a worm crawling along the ground than a man, and they pick him up. And they're able to nurse him back to health. And the interesting thing that's always stuck with me from that story, he gets fat aboard the ship. He goes from just nothing to being ginormous. Because he's so famished, he's so hungry, and they, he just eats so greedily. And the, and, and, the, and the sailors aboard, they feel so bad for him that they start giving him some of their rations, some of, some of their food. And he just keeps eating, he's stealing food, he's doing anything he can, and he just, he's just becoming huge. And yet, London says that he keeps speaking to the captain and, and the chef, asking them, are you sure there's enough food on board? 
are you sure there's enough for everyone? Because he can't get out of the mindset of all of those months of just near starvation. He just can't accept that things are different now. We are new. Own that, Christian. You are a new self. Now, I know, I know there are aspects of the old nature that we're still fighting. There's still that old self that we have to keep putting off. But it's not this zero-sum game. It's not physics. You're not a victim of science. You're not a victim of theology. You're not, you, you don't have to see it that way. You're not supposed to see it that way. It's like you put on the new self in Christ. You're being renewed in knowledge, which leads to fruit bearing and, 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 and being actually fashioned progressively more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Take hold of that. Take hold of that. That's who you are. If you're not in Christ, obviously that's not who you are. And if there's someone here today that does not have Christ, I, I hope this sounds attractive to you. Something, something that's actually good. You don't have to live within the, the death of, of that old zombie-like existence that you're in. Listen to the gospel. Let the Lord open your heart to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for sinners. He was buried. He rose the third day. Look to Jesus Christ. Believe in him. And you won't just be saved, which is, I mean, that is the most bang for your buck right there, right? To be saved. But not only are you, will you be saved, but you will be made new. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's the work of God then in you to progressively more and more renew you day by day into the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Don't you want that? We offer that to you on Christ's behalf. Let's pray. Lord, help us not to grow so discouraged and defeated in our faith that, that we forget these very clear words of scripture. This isn't like even debatable. It's, it's not a gray area. It's not hard to understand. You tell us, Lord, that we have put on the new self. And you tell us that you are engaged in renewing us daily, that you energize that and you cause us to grow in knowledge, to be fashioned in your very image, in the image of your, your son, and we pray, Lord, just that, that we would take hold of that, that, that you would free us from a heart of slavery and set our mind and our heart on what really and truly is. And we pray, Lord, that you would use these words today, your word, that someone might hear these and be drawn to Christ and might themselves hear the gospel and put on the new self today, that they might believe in Christ and be saved and begin to be sanctified and join to your people, one man, one self, where here there is neither Jew nor Greek. We pray, Lord, that you would do that work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.